Actress Ellen Page has declared that she is no longer a woman who likes women, but is a man who is gay, but likes women because she's a woman, but says she's a man, which is something only a woman would be crazy enough to do, except she's a man, she says. From now on, her pronouns will be who, never heard of her, and what else is on. The media immediately pretended to believe what Page was saying, rewriting every reference to her to use her new name, Elliot, and even suggesting they would go back to her old movies, which include Juno and other films besides Juno, and rewrite her credits as if she had not only become a man today, but had been a man back when she was a woman. This is the media's way of telling us that we should all now live at the sanity level of Hollywood actresses, who as a group fall on the sanity line in the narrow space between people who talk to Venus on broken cell phones and Hollywood actors. From now on, Miss Page will celebrate becoming something she isn't by acting as if she were what she's not. So in order to be a man, she will now be canceled for playing a woman on TV when in real life she's a woman playing a man, which is cultural appropriation or complete nonsense. From now on, she will also sit in an easy chair while her girlfriend is cleaning the house and occasionally shout out to her, hey, honey, could you bring me a sandwich? Her girlfriend, a lesbian, says she will continue to live with her now, even now that she's a man, even though she likes women, because come on, don't be silly. She's obviously a woman. Just look at her. Scientists say they'll work around the clock to discover how Paige suddenly switched her sex just by thinking about it, or maybe they'll just break for lunch, then forget the whole thing. Trigger warning, I'm Andrew Claven, and this is The Andrew Claven Show. I feel hunky-dunky, life is tickety-boo. Birds are winging, also singing, hunky-dunky-dee-doo. Ship-shaped, ipsy-topsy, the world is a bitty zing. It's a wonderful day, hurrah, hooray! It makes me want to sing. Oh, hurrah, hooray! Oh, hooray, hurrah! Here we are again. It's, it's, we are on the brink of the Clavenless weekend already. That really happened fast this week. I'm not sure why, but it's a good time to subscribe to the Andrew Claven YouTube channel. As I said yesterday, we're over 200,000 uh, subscribers and we're trying to get down to 12 or 15 uh, by alienating everybody who's listening to the show. So you want to you want to be a part of that? Sign up, hit that little bell. Uh, I will personally visit your house and bring you new content because I won't have anything else to do. Also, leave a comment. And if you're com- comment is uh, sufficiently obnoxious. We'll just include, it'll blend right in with the rest of the commentary. We have one today from B.F. Turnerwell, who says, well, you're still at over 200,000 subscribers. However, as a fallback, I'd bring in some of that Dominion software for every subscriber you lose, you'll gain two. (laughs) So we may actually, we may actually try that. One of the ugliest tricks of the journalistic left is the so-called fact check. This is the journalistic tool where some journalistic tool makes believe that he or she is just a straight up shoot from the hip guy or gal who's going to get to the bottom of all the misinformation out there and tell us what's what. People actually believe in this thing. For one thing, whenever a leftist uses the word fact, it should by rights burst into flame in his mouth and set his head on fire, which would not only be rough justice, but would be incredibly cinematic and cool. But for another thing, the fact check is just another leftist disinformation technique meant to shoot down any assertion that exposes leftists for the corrupt, hypocritical, dishonest, petty tyrant they so often are. Latest example. 
Remember when the press was in raptures over Joe Biden's all-female press team? I think that was about 10 minutes ago. It turns out that the new press secretary, Jen Psaki, I'm not sure how to pronounce it. It's P-S-A-K-I. And since Joe Biden pronounces the Psalms the Palms, maybe we just call her Paki. Uh, anyway, she was photographed in 2014 standing with her then boss, Secretary of State John Kerry, and his Russian counterpart. And in the photograph, Jen is wearing a pink hat with a communist hammer and sickle on it. No one claimed that she was a communist, but right-wingers did have some fun teasing her about it. But don't worry, USA Today was there with a fact-check. They fact-checked the photograph, and this is what they said. The image is real, but claims that the hat was anything more than a gift or that Saki was with uh, Russian officials in any capacity beyond her official role are missing context. Thanks, fact-checkers. But if we're going to add context, how about the context that between 60 million and 100 million people were murdered under that symbol and in the name of that symbol under the Soviet communist regime? The hammer and sickle should be as unacceptable to wear as a swastika. And only the learned ignorance of the left has prevented that from happening. And it's not just the hammer and sickle either. It's the Che Guevara t-shirts and the praiseful articles about the USSR in the New York Times and the lack of shame that should have been heaped on Bernie Sanders for his obvious soft peddling of the USSR's atrocities. I don't think Jen Psaki is a communist, but I think anyone who is not repelled by that symbol is a fool, and that includes the USA fact-checker, because the real context is the bloody truth about the murderous oppression that always arises from leftism. Christmas is a coming, and I know you're all looking forward to that trip down to the post office to stand online while people cough in your face, or... Or you could use stamps.com. This holiday season, more people will be mailing stuff than ever before. The post office is going to be packed, and you don't have time for that. But stamps.com brings the post office and now UPS shipping right to your computer. You can mail and ship anything from the convenience of your home or office. With stamps.com, anything you can do at the post office, you can do with just a few clicks. Plus, stamps.com saves you money with deep discounts that you can't get at the post office. Don't spend a minute of your holiday season standing online at the post office. Sign up for stamps.com. Instead, there's no risk. With my promo code CLAVEN, you get a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage and a digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. Just go to stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in CLAVEN. That's stamps.com and enter CLAVEN. Uh, stamps.com, you never have to go to the post office again, but you do have to know how to spell CLAVEN. How do you do it? It's K-L-A-V-A-N. There are no E's in CLAVEN. All right. So I'm going to take a look today. I'm going to take a nice, long, deep look at, at Donald Trump's speech yesterday. And before I do this, he said it was the most important speech. So that's the way I'm going to treat it. But before I do, let me tell you where I am personally. And this is, you know, is important because I want you to know where I'm coming from with all of this, especially since a lot of people are accusing me from coming from some mysterious place, like I've been bought off or something. And by the way, if I have been bought off and you have the check, please send it because I haven't received it. My, my bought off check is in the mail. So when Trump started out, uh, when he was in the primaries, I hated him. I just hated him. I hated uh, his ignorance. I hated his crudity. I hated his insults to people. As you know, I really do believe in manners. And I think in politics, manners are not only important uh, morally, but I think that they are important practically. Uh, I, I, I hated the fact that he didn't immediately denounce the Ku Klux Klan and that he called for violence in his speeches. He said, punch people if they start to heckle and all this stuff. And I was worried that he would become, I was worried about two things. I was worried, one, that he would become extreme in office, 
Uh, and I was worried that also he was secretly a Democrat. I was worried that he was actually a liberal at heart because he'd been a Democrat most of his life. But when he, he, when he won and when he was running against Hillary, I decided I was going to vote for him. And a lot of people gave me a lot of flack. I've, I've joked about this before. Ben Shapiro yelled at me for about three hours. And when, you know, the way he talks so fast, it's like being machine gunned. You know, I, I often compared it to being like uh, Sonny Corleone in that scene. <laughs> Godfather, where he gets caught in the toll booth and he just gets rattled with it. You know, that's what that was like. And, you know, and the truth is, there was a lot of feeling like that at the Daily Wire. And a lot of the younger people, I think this is fair to say, I'm not bragging about it, but I'm just saying, I think a lot of the younger people who were working there at the time did not say they were voting for Trump until I said it. Then they felt that they had cover to say it. And that's the way it should be. It should be the guy up in front who takes the flack. And, you know, I, I'm a you know, I'm invulnerable to bullets because I was born on a planet with a red sun. Not everybody knows that. Uh, but listen, all this time, and and then when, when Trump was elected, I gave him a blank slate. I said, he didn't work for me before. I'm forgetting about, you know, adultery and lies and anything he did that was not that savory. Now he works for me. I'm just going to give him a blank slate. And I really tried hard to understand uh, how a guy like this had been elected president because he was so offbeat. Some of the stuff he said about being, you know, his, his uh, touting his wealth and his calling people losers if they didn't have a lot of money was so unchristian that I was thinking, how did this guy get to be president? So I tried hard to understand him. And I, 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 and I saw two things. One, that I was wrong in thinking that he would become extreme, that his worst qualities would become extreme. Uh, and and that, I should have known that. That was a mistake on my part, and I admitted it th- at the time because you don't just change at 70 and become Adolf Hitler. You know, that was my fear that maybe there was a secret, you know, like the left was saying, there's some secret authoritarian there, but, it, but you don't just become Hitler. He was a fix-it guy, and I understood that. But I also came to feel that there are essentially, there were essentially two Trumps. There was the Trump who was Trump, who was sometimes did unsavory things, cheated on his wife, uh, told, said things that weren't true, like, you know, uh, Ted Cruz's father uh, killed Kennedy. And then there was the Trump who was the voice of the people. And he was the, he was the way that people found to tell the elites, the media, the academy, the entertainment industry, screw you. You have insulted us. You have called us racist. You've demeaned our values. You've put forward your stupid elitist leftism that helps you, but leaves everybody else in poverty. You've ignored us. We're dying out here. Our jobs are gone. You sold our jobs to China and sat around patting a Barack Obama on the head while he destroyed the economy, while he sat on the recovery. We're starving. Our factories are closed. Up yours, okay? Now, other people, I've been I've been taking flack for four years about my support for Donald Trump from people I love and respect, right? And they, you know, they were telling me, oh, he's a terrible guy. Would have some some of them would say, oh, it would have been better if Hillary won because then we'd have had this and that. And that's unwise. That is just unwisdom because we don't know what would have happened over four years. And it's better to have. It was obviously far far better to have Trump. And Trump turned out to be a great president. But the thing is that people that I deeply respect, like Jonah Goldberg and David French, good people. They're good people. They never heard, they they never heard the Trump who was the voice of the people. They only heard the Trump who was Trump. And they were so offended by the Trump who was Trump that they couldn't hear how he was the voice of the people. And I thought that that was wrong. I thought that they were making a big, big mistake. And I loved the Trump who was the voice of the people because I think the people are right. I think the elites in this country are corrupt, stupid, insular, ignorant, 
and self-congratulating at a level I have never seen before. They do not serve the people. They don't speak for the people. And I know that, you know, when I was young, I wanted to be a hobo. That was kind of my ambition. You can read about this in The Great Good Thing in my memoir. I traveled around the country. I slept in hobo camps. I I lived on the road. I talked to people, all, all kinds of people. And I was in grew up as a a coastal elite. And I suddenly saw, oh, wait, these people are better than the elite, or at least at at their best, they're better than the elites. And at their worst, they're no worse than the elites. Okay. And I came to understand that the people who hated Trump, I'm not talking about Jonah and people like that. I'm talking about the media. They, They didn't just hate Trump. They hated the people. And so a lot of the times, the interests of Trump when he was president and the interests of the people were the same thing. Okay. And I was really uh, on the side of the Trump who is the voice who, of the people. And when I criticized Trump, when I criticized Trump for these four years, it was because he was being Trump who was Trump and not being the Trump who was the voice of the people. And I was afraid that he was going to alienate people by being the Trump who was Trump so that the people would lose their voice. And that, I think, is what has happened. That's what's happened. And I, you know, during the first days of the Chinese flu when he was doing those press conferences, I did something I have never done before and hope never to do again, which is I called up people that I knew who knew him. I called up people on his campaign and said he's got to stop because he's talking about how he's being mistreated while the people are dying. And so the Trump who was Trump came on and he was no longer the Trump who was the voice of the people. And that, I believe, is what cost him the election right there, okay? So he made a speech today and what I'm trying to separate is I'm trying to separate the Trump who was Trump from the Trump who's the voice of the people, the Trump who does things for himself that are not always good, but the Trump who, separate that from the Trump who speaks for everybody who has been denied and ignored and hurt. All right, so let's take a look at this speech, all right? And just starting out, we should say that we don't know, we do not know how much fraud there was. You don't know. I don't know. We're reading the paper. We're reading every source we can get our hands on. I'm reading every source. And when people send me stuff from, you know, right-wing sources like Gateway Pundit, I say, great, you know, that that is a source, but it's a right-wing source. I'm trying to read everybody and trying to judge and balance the evidence, okay? And one of the people I'm listening to is Donald Trump, all right? So he made this speech. This is what he said. This is cut two. This may be the most important speech I've ever made. I want to provide an update on our ongoing efforts to expose the tremendous voter fraud and irregularities which took place during the ridiculously long November 3rd elections. We used to have what was called Election Day. Now we have Election Days, weeks and months, and lots of bad things happened during this ridiculous period of time especially when you have to prove almost nothing to exercise our greatest privilege, the right to vote. As president, I have no higher duty than to defend the laws and the Constitution of the United States. That is why I am determined to protect our election system, which is now under coordinated assault and siege. Okay. So he's protecting the election system. We all know that this election was messed up. COVID messed it up. The Democrats messed it up. We all know this. We all suspect the Democrats do a lot more fraud, election fraud, than the Republicans. They've been caught at it repeatedly. They've been spotted doing it, and they have machines in big cities, and we know they do all this stuff. So this is the Trump who's speaking for the people. We all feel that these elections that, uh, you know, that his, the charges that are being made that are responsible are just being ignored by the press. The Trump's enemies are the best things he has. They are the best things he has because they have mistreated 
the America. They have mistreated the American people. They have treated their own class well, their corporate class, their globalist class, their elite class. And Trump is the only person who stood up for them. The Republicans up until this point have been absolute mud in, until Trump came along. And if they haven't learned from Trump that they've got to speak for people, then they've learned nothing and they'll disappear. The GOP, if they don't haven't learned anything from Trump, they will disappear. But you know, Paul Krugman, now, right this minute, you know, Paul Krugman, this at, on Knucklehead Row, the biggest knucklehead on Knucklehead Row, a guy of complete, absolute uh, hypocrisy and dishonesty, wrote a column saying that the problem that Joe Biden has is he will be immediately be confronted with an unprecedented challenge, okay? He will be the first modern U.S. president trying to govern in the face of an opposition that refuses to accept his legitimacy. And no, Democrats never said Donald Trump was illegitimate, just that he was incompetent and dangerous. That's, that's in the New York Times. That is Paul Krugman in the New York Times. Byron New York and the Washington Examiner just ripped him to pieces, quoting Hillary Clinton, said he was illegitimate. Uh, who else? Uh, Reverend, uh, Reverend Congressman uh, John Lewis said he was illegitimate. Paul Krugman agreed with John Lewis that it was patriotic to say he was illegitimate. So these are the people that Trump is standing against. And these are the people, when he speaks for us, when he speaks for the people, these are the people who oppose him and why we side with him instinctively, why we do, you know, go along with him instinctively. It's not just the press. It's also the entertainment industry uniformly. I'm using Stephen Colbert, but Stephen Colbert talks for every single entertainer in network television. And if you don't say it, they destroy you. This is Colbert reacting to the speech. This is cut eight. It may be the most impotent speech you've ever made because it was just another rambling mass of lies that lasted a full 46 minutes. My big complaint, he should have done this a week ago, not because he said anything worth hearing, but at least the people who canceled a big family Thanksgiving could have pretended they were still eating with their racist uncle. You're a petty, angry man, desperate for validation you will never receive and have never deserved. And in 50 days, you'll be out of the White House without the protections of executive power, and no court is going to uphold you pardoning yourself. Plus, you're ugly and your mother dresses you funny. This is Colbert two years ago, I think. And this is what he was talking about with Trump two years ago. It's cut nine. Trump's in Helsinki with his buddy Vlad. <laughs> and this meeting is just three days after 12 Russian military intelligence agents under direct Kremlin control were indicted for hacking the 2016 election. Now, 12 Asians sounds like a lot, but remember, they're Russian, so they were all nested inside one big agent. <laughs> First, the, the two men had a private meeting with only translators in the room. And to make sure that everybody stayed out, they put this sign on the door, strongmen only, no girls allowed. <laughs> what is it gonna take for you to acknowledge that Putin directed his officials to help you get elected? Does he have to just come out and say it? Because he did. That's three years, Colbert. Who's a small, petty, ugly little man? What a liar. And he's backed up by every corporation, every corporate media outlet. All the comedians, if entertainers don't say this, they will not work. You will not work on Hollywood if you don't agree with this or at least pretend to agree with this or at least keep your mouth shut. He was talking about the fact that Russians were indicted for spending $100,000 in Facebook ads. Michael Bloomberg spent $100 million in this last election trying to flip Florida, Ohio, and Texas and got nowhere. $100 million. All this dark money stuff is nonsense. 
people will vote according to the issues. They, they will, you know, you can get a lot of information out there with your money, but it better be good information because the people will not change their minds for nothing. $100,000 in Facebook ads. And for three years, Stephen Colbert accused the president of the United States of being a Russian agent. And now Donald Trump feels he's hard done by. And suddenly it's Trump who's the bad guy. Trump is just doing, I mean, this is always true of Trump. He is just doing the same thing that they do. He is doing exactly what they did to him. It is, you know, is absolute payback. And and the thing about it is, is, you know, that doesn't make him right. That doesn't make him right. I'm just giving the context. Let's put it in context. The context of his speech. He is speaking after being hit on and attacked for no reason from every elite corporate globalist source, including Stephen Colbert, who is just the mascot of that movement. That's all he is, just like Paul Krugman and the the entire New York Times, just like all the media are. So he's speaking in that context, which gives him validity and strength. And I want to point out the important thing is he didn't make the speech in public. He released it on social media. And that's on the other side of the subject. He's speaking only to the people he likes. He's speaking to the people who love him. And that's, we have to say, that's a dangerous thing. Because if you're not going out to convince the people This is what I've been saying for four years. If you're not convincing the people who disagree with you, you're not doing politics right. And I know he's not a politician, but he's a politician now. And he he is not making this argument to everybody. That's suspicious. We should be suspicious of him when he does that. We should ask why Trump is talking to the people who love him and not to everybody. Why is he not talking to America? This is the most important speech he ever made. Why didn't he make it in public? Okay. I think this is, it's important that we're questioning everybody here because there is a Trump who is Trump, a Trump who serves him himself, a Trump who says things that aren't true. There's also that Trump. So there's the one Trump who's speaking for all of us when he goes up against these guys. And there's this other Trump that we have to look for because he's only speaking to, by by releasing this on social media, he's only speaking to the people who already love him. And that's something we should be suspicious of when anybody does it, right? Because we're we're in a closed space. If we're not hearing both sides, we're not getting at the truth. And the truth is what makes us free, all right? Somebody's important said that. So not many people know that. You ever play the game Risk? I am the inventor of the Australia defense where you lose all your armies and then fight your way back out of Australia because you're in a corner and you have to fight your way back. I am a master of the underdog techniques. I have always loved underdogs. And here is a podcast you might want to listen to if you love underdogs. It's called True Underdog. This is a guy who was raised in a trailer park. He had no clear path to success. He was kicked out of high school multiple times. He was faced with becoming a father in his teens. His name is Jason Waller, and he is the definition of a true underdog. After hearing the words no or you can't too many times, he unleashed the power within to start three successful companies with his most recent venture, Power Home Solar, skyrocketing on a path to become a billion-dollar enterprise. Join Waller, a four-time Entrepreneur of the Year winner, as he shares motivational tips and inspiring stories and business building lessons from the ground up. He shares his life experiences and that of his high-profile guests to help others better themselves. Check out True Underdog Podcast at trueunderdog.com or anywhere you get your podcasts. Uh, all right, so let's let's listen to more of this speech. This is cut three. What changed this year was the Democrat Party's relentless push to print and mail out tens of millions of ballots sent to unknown recipients with virtually no safeguards of any kind. This allowed fraud and abuse to occur on a scale never seen before. Using the pandemic as a pretext, Democrat politicians and 
Judges drastically changed election procedures just months and, in some cases, weeks before the election on the 3rd of November. Very rarely were legislatures involved, and constitutionally, they had to be involved. But very, very rarely, and you'll see that as we continue to file our suits, it's constitutionally absolutely incorrect what took place, even from a legal standpoint. This is his strongest argument, and because it's true. And it is true that they did this, some of the stuff they did. I've said this from the beginning, that his strongest case is his case that what happened in Pennsylvania was unconstitutional. And I have questioned whether the Supreme Court will even hear that case because he needs three states. He needs to turn back three states to win the election. And it's possible the Supreme Court will say, well, you know, we're not going to hear this because it's not going to change anything. The court does do that. The Supreme Court does do that. But this is true. If you want to look at a good uh, article about this, try the article by Joy Pullman in The Federalist. Uh, Joy Pullman really does a deep dive into all the things the Democrats did to cloud the election. And they love doing this. This is why they don't like uh, photo ID. This is why they're constantly claiming that uh, we're suppressing the vote when we just w want people to be to have identification. We want to know that you're voting to vote with. Here's I'll read a little bit of this. Democrats used COVID as an excuse to ram through many long-desired, weaker voting processes to the point that an estimated 80 million Americans voted by mail in fall 2020. Only estimates are available currently. Uh, she says that's approximately half of the 2020 presidential elections estimated 160 million votes. In 2016, approximately 24 percent of votes were cast by mail, according to federal data. That means mail-in voting approximately doubled between 2016 and 2020 as a percent of vote share. It likely more than doubled as a proportion of votes totals due to 2020's higher turnout. By any measure, 2020 saw an enormous expansion of mail-in voting, and that presents a problem for election integrity. Because mail-in necessarily includes much higher error rates and opportunities for fraud than in-person votes. It can help but do that. Too many more things can go wrong with a mail-in vote than an in-person one, as studies invariably point out. And of course that's true. And the, the press backing it up all this time saying, no, no, mail-in voting is secure, was utter, utter nonsense, gibberish, lies meant to throw everybody off because they want the the vote to be more manipulable because the Democrats commit more voter fraud than the Republicans do. And that's why we're hearing testimony like this from this truck driver who says he was moving ballots from one state to another. It's cut 20. I know I saw ballots with return addresses filled out. Thousands of them. Thousands. Loaded onto my trailer in New York and headed for Pennsylvania. At first, I didn't think it was a big deal. But as things became weirder, I got to thinking and wondered why I was driving complete ballots from New York to Pennsylvania. So you're going to hear a lot of testimony like this because there was, a, you know, the, the thing was a mess. We knew it was going to be a mess and Trump warned it was going to be a mess and it was chaotic. Uh, Trump makes the point in his speech where he says they, were, they told us the results wouldn't come in maybe for weeks and months, and suddenly they came in right away, and anybody who questioned them was crazy. Absolutely true, and this is the truth. Now, we got to put that up against the fact that Bill Barr, the attorney general, says he hasn't seen, he hasn't yet seen enough fraud that it would change the outcome. And, and allegedly, Trump is angry about that. But Barr is just a straight arrow. He has been straight in every instance that I can remember. And that just doesn't change overnight because we disagree with him. So the thing about this voters, this mail-in stuff, 
is that Trump's lawyers should have stopped it. They should have fought it harder. They should have headed it off at the pass. They should have made it go away. Just the one, just sitting around Trump complaining about it on Twitter was not enough. And it's too late. It is too late to go back and check those ballots. It's too late to overturn it. Bill Barr is talking about evidence. I've said this again and again. When they go into court, when they when Giuliani goes into court, he does not accuse them of fraud. By the way, there's going to be a case in Nevada, in a Nevada court later today. It's important because there they'll be under oath and they say they've got enough evidence to flip the state. Let's see what they say when they get before the judge. It's really important to pay attention to this because politics is the art of the possible, okay? They should have stopped it. They didn't stop it. Now, to say it happened, to declare that it happened, that it was enough to change the vote, only talking to the people who love you on social media doesn't help the country. It's not good for the country to do that. It is not good to say this is a third world country if you can't prove it. You've got to be able to prove stuff like that. You can't just throw the accusations around. This is not the primaries anymore where you can say, uh, you know, Ted Cruz's father killed Kennedy and it's okay. You're the president of the United States now. You are now the voice of the people. That was when Trump was at his best. That's when he did the things that we all loved, that I loved, that I supported. But if you're doing this and you have no other purpose than to support yourself and to raise money for your fights and what you're going to do, that's not going to work. Because if you can't prove this, you shouldn't be saying it. And what's the problem? Here is Lynn Wood with with Sidney Powell standing in back of him down in Georgia calling on the, the Republican Senate candidates on whom the neck, the future of this country hangs. The future of this country hangs on those two candidates. And he's saying if they don't call for the resignation of the Georgia officials who have certified the vote, that you should not go out and vote for Kelly Loeffler and uh, the other one at Purdue. Uh, yeah, Purdue. Um, and you should give give the, the Democrats the majority in this in the Senate. That is what Lynn Wood ostensibly a lawyer for Trump, supporting Trump, trying to prove this election. This is what he's saying. It's cut 19. Until Brian Kemp comes out and orders a special session of the Georgia legislature. Get us our legislature and tell everybody we want our legislator to meet and we want him to fix the mess that he created. And then he can resign. They've got to demand publicly, repeatedly, consistently, Brian Kemp, call a special session of the Georgia legislature. And if they do not do it, if Kelly Loeffler and David Perdue do not do it, they have not earned your vote. Don't you give it to them. Now, this is a guy, by the way, who has voted for and donated to Democrat candidates. Here's a sign being put up in Georgia. Can you put that billboard up? This is put up by a... uh, Biden super PAC. It says Purdue Loeffler didn't deliver for Trump. Don't deliver for them. They're using Trump's accusations to win back the majority so they can put their socialist programs into play with a a Senate majority. They're using what Trump is doing to sell the Democrat, a Democrat majority to the people of Georgia. Trump has got to know that he has got to understand that. So when he says these things, he has got to be able to to prove them. And if he can't prove them, he shouldn't say that. He shouldn't say them. I mean, it's basic politics, right? If the guy is, if the guy is speaking for himself, if Trump is being Trump, if Trump is the Trump of Trump, then he's speaking just for himself and he's raising money and he's doing, you know, uh, setting up. He says he's going to run in four years from now. Who knows? Four years is a long time, but that's what he says he's going to do. But if he's speaking for the people, 
If he's speaking for the people, he has got to preserve that majority because not one of them, one one Democrat, one Republican isn't going to win in Georgia. It'll either be both Democrats or both Republicans. That's the way it's going to turn out. And he should be thinking about that. All right. We got to take a break here to talk about something really important as opposed to the fate of the country. If you are not already a Daily Wire member, speaking of the fate of the country, now is the time to join because you've got some amazing stuff that's right around the corner. Starting this Friday, December 4th, that's tomorrow, starting tomorrow. That's what it should say. So starting tomorrow, the Michael Knowles show is going five days a week with more content for our members to enjoy. So you want to subscribe now because if you subscribe at the highest level, we'll give you Knowles for three days a week. So that's really important. You want to subscribe for that. We're all... (laughs) (laughs) He's not listening. We don't care. We're adding the entire Breaker U catalog to dailywire.com by the end of the year. That's great. We've already uploaded all of Prager U's five-minute videos. The Candace Owens show from Prager U, Knowles' book club, which I was on. Early next year, Candace Owens is joining the Daily Wire in Nashville, where she'll be launching a brand new day. We got big stuff coming up. You want to be part of this. Do not let the legacy media control the dialogue. We are. Come on over and join us, dailywire.com slash subscribe. Your subscriptions help us fend off challenges to us saying the things we want to say. I can't make the jokes like I made at the opening of this about uh, Miss Miss Mr. Page. Uh, I can't make those jokes. If I'm going to get canceled, then I won't get canceled if you guys are subscribing. Also, if you haven't ordered them yet, check out our Daily Wire Christmas ornaments. Uh, that's the Daily Wire hosts, uh, the God King Jeremy Boring, and some guy who just looks like an alien who's supposed to be supposed to be me. It's, like a, it's, it's wild. I wish I really looked like that. Also, the the, um, the Shapiro one is life-size, so that's also kind of cool. Text Christmas to 80. Text Christmas to 80. 8,300 eight, three, to get your tree decorated. They're going fast, so get yours now. And by the way, no one has sent me a free a free set of ornaments. I just want to point that out. So, so if you get them, you might want to get an extra one and send me some. Okay, more Trump. And this is where things, in my opinion, get a little shady. And this is the stuff that I've been dealing with these last uh, few weeks, when it, it seems to me that that Trump has been doing something that, that is not right, that is just not right. I mean, I, I'm not against I was not not against his following uh, his legal options. I'm sure he believes that this election was stolen out from under him. I don't think he's lying about that. I don't think he's just making it up. But he is a guy who jumps on things, uh, who sees things from one point of view and doesn't always study where the facts are. He's done this numerous times. And here he is talking about the vote in Wisconsin. This is cut four. We have in all swing states major infractions or outright fraud, which is far more in numbers or votes than we need to overturn the results of a state. In other words, in Wisconsin, as an example, where we were way up on election night, they ultimately had us miraculously losing by 20,000 votes. And I can show you right here that Wisconsin, we're leading by a lot. And then at 3.42 in the morning, there was this. It was a massive dump of votes, mostly Biden, almost all Biden. And to this day, everyone's trying to figure out where did it come from? But I went from 
leading by a lot to losing by a little. And that's right here. That's at 3.42 in the morning. That's Wisconsin. A terrible thing. So it's just not. It's just not so. I'm sorry, but it's not. That dump was the expected Milwaukee dump. It went for Trump, uh, for Biden, at about the same level as it went as it went for Hillary. Slight differences, but about the same level that it went for Hillary before. They knew it was coming. Everybody expected it. Everybody knew that this was going to be a big dump of Biden, Biden votes. It always happens on election night. These people saying it was a sudden spike. It always happens. It happened worse because of the mail-in voting and the late votes and all that stuff that should have been uh, prevented before it happened. But it it. Ca- it was less of a percentage of the vote of Wisconsin than normal, and it was in the suburbs where Trump got killed all the time. Another claim is about uh, Michigan, that uh, 140,000 votes were magically added to Biden in Michigan. And it was true that there was this glitch where something like 15,000 uh, Biden votes were added but that was caught within 20 minutes. It was a glitch. It, you know, once you start, once you start with the conspiracy theories, every every mistake becomes part of the theory. And the problem is that there are always mistakes. There's always going to be things like this. It, you know, that mistake, 15,000 was noticed by the state officials, was caught, was changed, and that's why you know I keep getting these letters saying, you know, how does this magically go over? It was it was a mistake, you know. So that happened. But but then at the same time this is happening, and you know somebody uh, Wall Street Journal I think it was compared this to playing whack a mole. The the thing about this is this is exactly what the Democrats did to Trump. It's exactly what the Democrats did to Trump. They kept making a thousand charges. So you had to rush over here and say, well, this Russian thing was not a big deal. That Russian thing wasn't a big deal. This meeting wasn't a big deal. Oh, but there was this. And they were doing the exact same thing. You can't tell me that he was reading from Russia to love. And that's just a coincidence. That wasn't, a, you know, I saw him doing that. And you say, well, it's a novel. Well, but over here, you know, you saw what uh, what Colbert was doing. That's that's the way this this works. And so Trump is just giving back to him what he got. But that doesn't necessarily mean that's the best thing for the country. And that's that's my problem here. Uh, the Michigan thing was the Michigan dump was another one. There was Detroit and it went for Trump, for Biden in the same way that it went for Hillary. And again, it was less of Michigan than it had been in the last election. And again, uh, it was the suburbs where Trump lost. But you do get stuff like this. You know, Giuliani, Giuliani and Jenna are going around, do, you know, putting on their uh, show where they have all these people who have some of them have signed uh, documents that are essentially putting them under oath. Uh, and they're and they're testifying to things. And you can see that they're just ordinary, decent Americans. Some of them look a little kooky, but not all of them. Here's a lady in, in Michigan talking about her experience when she complained because one of her fellow poll workers counted a an unclear vote for the Democrats, which you're not supposed to do. If the vote is unclear, if the card has been filled out improperly, you're supposed to throw it away. And when she went and complained to her bosses, she was intimidated. This is cut one. The vote should have been tossed out. At that moment, I said, absolutely not. I'm going to challenge this. So I go get her supervisor. And then her supervisor defers to her and says, well, what do you think? And I'm like, well, what do you think? It doesn't matter what you think. It's the law. Our feelings, our emotions, our thoughts are totally irrelevant. You follow the law. And that ballot is to be tossed out. But she wanted to give it to the Democrats. So then I go get the gentleman who was overseeing the entire absentee ballot counting process while Daniel Baxter was gone. So this gentleman's name, I do not know. I go get him. He's overseeing the entire process while Daniel Baxter is gone. I ask him. He says to the girl, what do you think? It was disgusting. I was enraged. And I simply asked a question. I said, well, 
why not give it to the Republicans instead of the Democrats? The gentleman began screaming at me, began yelling at me, began telling me that I had no right to talk to her, and he told her to push the ballot through. Now, I have to tell you, I, I would be lying if I told you that I didn't find this woman credible. I mean, my human spidey sense looks at her and says, that is an all-American lady tell, sitting there telling the truth. And, and I know, I know the Democrats do this stuff. I know they do it in cities. I know they have machines in cities. I know they intimidate people. Some of the people questioning these witnesses seem to be kind of intimidating uh, to me. You know, I can't prove that, but they, they did seem to be. I'm sure some of these stories are true. But the thing is, he lost Michigan by 146,000 votes. Okay, 146,000 votes is a lot of votes pushed through. You know, and, and it's, you got to be able to, again, you have to be able to prove that. So Bill Barr has to be lying, that he, if he's seeing this and he's ignoring it, uh, that there was 146,000 votes. Remember what he said is, I have, I, uh, to date, I have not seen enough fraud to turn the results of the election around, which is obviously what we're talking about, or else why are we complaining at all? Um, so Bill Barr has to be lying. The Trump judges who've thrown these cases out of court again and again and again, they have to be lying. The Wall Street Journal has to be lying. We'd have to be living in the matrix, basically, for ladies like this, who I believe her, I just believe she's telling the truth, but for ladies like this to be able to make up 146,000 votes in Michigan, we would have to be living in the matrix, and we're not. And we can, it can feel like we're living in the matrix because the press is so bad uh, and so dishonest. And they tell us that we're not seeing what we're seeing. They do it all the time. And we've had it for four years. And Trump is a Russian. And Trump being in the Ukraine is a terrible, terrible, you know, talking to the president of the Ukraine on the phone is a terrible, terrible, impeachable offense. And the problem has been that a lot of my friends who are Republicans have fallen for this stuff repeatedly. I have not. I've come on and told you every single time that one more lie is just one more lie. I don't care how many times they tell it. And now I'm telling you the same thing. I'm telling you that no matter how many uh, different avenues Trump comes from and Trump's people come from, the question is, do, was there enough fraud to overturn the election? That's the question because we've got other things coming up. We've got this Georgia vote coming up and we can't have people putting up these billboards and guys like Lynn Wood telling people not to vote and playing off Trump. And if Trump goes down there, what's he going to say to them when he goes down there? Vote. It's not going to matter whether you vote because it's all rigged, but go ahead and vote because I'm telling you to. What's he going to say? Where's the power of that appeal going to come from? And here's the big one. Here's the one that I really uh, don't like at all. This is uh, cut five. On top of everything else, we have a company that's very suspect. Its name is Dominion. With the turn of a dial or the change of a chip, you can press a button for Trump and the vote goes to Biden. What kind of a system is this? We have to go to paper. Maybe it takes longer. But the only secure system is paper, not these systems that nobody understands, including, in many cases, the people that run them. Although, unfortunately, I think they understand them far too well. Now, this one, the reason this is so powerful, of course, is because we know that, that computers are the one thing that could have, like, turned enough of the millions of votes that Trump lost by, uh, could have turned those around because computers act like that. And we've seen Google rearranging their search algorithm to hide Hunter Biden's corruption. We've seen Twitter censoring the president, censoring the New York Post. We've seen Facebook killing ads. We know that online people and the and, um, 
the computer people. We know that they're against us, that they lie, that they cheat, that they censor. We know they're bad guys. And again, Trump's enemies are the things that uplift him. They're the things that make him so legitimate because he's the voice of the people, all of us, screaming at these powerful elite people who are beyond our control. You know, we hate you. You you stink. Give us our country back. That's what we're trying to say with Donald Trump. And so when he says this, uh, it's, it's as if it's part of that uh, campaign. But the thing is, Dominion, the, the way Dominion machines work, as far as I can understand it, and I think there are different kinds of machines, but the way a lot of them work is you fill out the the vote in a on a computer, but then you get a paper ballot, ballot, and then the Dominion machine counts the paper ballot, and so you have the paper record of it. And every time uh, this has happened, the the count, the hand count, has turned out to be the same as the Dominion one. And they did this in Georgia. And then they changed the rules. They said, well, you've got to match all the signatures and all this stuff. But that's something you have to do on the night. Look, the, the Dominion machines, there is not real evidence that the Dominion machines were rigged. And it's, uh, it, you know, it's a problem to say they are when you don't have that evidence. It doesn't hold up. It does not hold up. The way the machines work has been validated in the Georgia recounts. And finally, let me end with this part of uh, Trump's speech. This cut six. This election was rigged. Everybody knows it. I don't mind if I lose an election, but I want to lose an election fair and square. What I don't want to do is have it stolen from the American people. That's what we're fighting for. And we have no choice to be doing that. We already have the proof. We already have the evidence. And it's very clear. Many people in the media and even judges so far have refused to accept it. They know it's true. They know it's there. They know who won the election. But they refuse to say, you're right. Our country needs somebody to say, you're right. Well, you know, I haven't seen this evidence. I, have, I like, like Bill Barr, have not seen enough evidence to convince me that this thing was stolen, that we all know it. What it seems to me happened is that the Trump who speaks for Trump alienated enough people that they voted down the Trump who speaks for the people. And that's a problem. That has been a problem with him for four years. I've been talking about it for four years. It has been driving me crazy for four years. Trump is now, I feel, uh, speaking, even though, even though he stands where all of us wants to want to stand. He stands against the media. He stands against the academy. He stands against the elites who have ignored us and lied about us and called us racist and demeaned our values and pushed their stupid globalism and their stupid socialism. He stands against all those people. And in doing that, he stands for us. But, but when he tells us we're living in a third world country and millions of votes changed hands illegally and he does not have the evidence, then he's talking for Trump. It's time for him to speak for all of us in Georgia. That's where the fight is now. The fight is in Georgia. I love Trump when he speaks for the people. I love him when he embodies the voice of the people. We need the voice of the people to speak in Georgia. That's where he should be. The Clavenless weekend is now upon us. You may be relieved, <laughs> but, but I warn you, I warn you, you, you may be relieved now, but there will be darkness. We will be cast out into the exterior darkness. There'll be wailing. There'll be gnashing of teeth. You'll need a dentist. It's terrible. But if you survive, we will be here on Monday. I'm Andrew Claven. This is The Andrew Claven Show. Hey, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, give us a five-star review. And also tell your friends to subscribe, too. 
We're available on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, The Matt Wall Show, and The Michael Knowles Show. Thanks for listening. The Andrew Clavin Show is produced by Robert Sterling. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Our technical director is Austin Stevens. Supervising producer, Mathis Glover. Assistant director, Pavel Wadowski. Edited by Adam Saivitz and Danny D'Amico. Audio mixed by Robin Fenderson. Hair and makeup, or head and makeup, is by Nika Geneva. Animations are by Cynthia Angulo. Production assistants, McKenna Waters and Ryan Love. The Andrew Claven Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2020. If you prefer facts over feelings, aren't offended by the brutal truth, and you can still laugh at the insanity filling our national news cycle, well, tune in to The Ben Shapiro Show. We'll get a whole lot of that and much more. See you there. 